We finished last week by looking at verses 3 and 4 about how it requires uh, humility. And as we really think about how our foundation of these blessings in Christ, it helps me to remember that the moment that I begin to think I'm somebody and I have you know, uh, a reason for people to say that I'm great, it reminds me to think, you know, without Christ, I can do nothing. And so as I, as I remember my position in Christ, it should help me to become humble. And then as I remember my position in the body of Christ, uh, that this isn't a solo journey, but Christianity is a group journey. I don't do this alone. I, I shouldn't just kind of go off and say, no, but I don't need to gather with God's family. I can do this all on my own. All throughout Scripture, in fact, 50, almost 52 specific one another commands that we see in Scripture, and about a hundred times that that phrase uh, is mentioned throughout the New Testament. So we're reminded again and again, this is a group journey, and it requires humility. Today we begin to look at some of the examples of this, um, and we start with none other than Jesus Christ, God the Son. Now I would imagine this has happened here at Northwest already at some of our uh, kids' Uh, school programs, but as they have different speakers come in, and I'm sure you've had the experience as well, when speakers come in, sometimes they're introduced. And it may, you may hear you know, an introduction of, um, hey, this is, uh, this is Sally, and she has an earned doctorate in you know, underwater basket weaving, and uh, she has a worldwide you know, empire, and she has come today to share her secrets of success. And normally, it includes some type of personal connection or educational background or why is it important for this person to be speaking? They share you know, something of that nature when they introduce the speaker. Now, even more common than that is as you look on Facebook or Instagram, uh, you'll see the About Me profile. And I found a few this last week I found very interesting. These are, are pulled from, I think all of these came from Facebook. But um, as we think of the bio of someone, we're going to look briefly in a minute at Jesus Christ's bio that will be very different than anything I'll read or anything you should ever read because he's unique and the only God the Son. But listen to a couple of these. that uh, These are true about me sections. I think I'm good enough to be my hero. Normal is overrated. Weird is good, so I'm weird. Rounds a shape, so I think I'm in shape. I'm merely on energy-saving mode. Don't say I'm lazy. I'm the only one who gets my jokes. I'm so hilarious. I can identify with that sometimes. Even if I came with instructions, you can't handle me. I'm athletic. I can surf the web for hours. Well, good for you. I'm only single because I'm too fantastic for everyone right now. I discovered the meaning of life years ago but forgot to write it down. I do nothing every day, but people keep saying nothing is impossible. My decision-making skills resemble a squirrel crossing the streets, and I know how to govern myself, so I think I'm good enough to be a queen. So maybe some of those you might identify with, and uh, you can put those on your profiles. But we're going to see on Jesus Christ's profile in, in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8, that he has a profile, he has a description that no one else could ever write of themselves or be described in this way. Follow along with me in Philippians chapter 2. We begin to see here Jesus' deity. Jesus, Jesus' deity. He is God the Son. He is the God of heaven. And we see in Philippians verse, chapter 2, verse 5, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in, notice this, the form of God. Though he was in the form of God. Another letter that Paul writes to the Colossian church, in Colossians 1.15, it says, He is the image 
of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now I want to get really deep here with you, okay? So this morning, I would imagine that probably all of you looked in a mirror, maybe for a few seconds, some maybe a lot longer. But as you looked in the mirror, now this is where it gets deep, who did you see? You don't have to think a whole lot about this. Okay, so you looked in the mirror. I know it's cold. It's the end of the year. Semester's just done. Exam week is just finished. But as you look in the mirror, who did you see? Good. All right. That's awesome. You saw yourself. So as you look in the mirror, you saw yourself. If you were to step away, this is, this is where it even goes a step further. If you were to step away outside of the view of the mirror, what would happen? What would be in the mirror? Be no reflection. So we see, you know, it's like, Pastor David, wow. I mean, that, but that's what the, that's the illustration that we see here in Colossians is that Jesus is the visible form of the invisible God. God the Son and God the Father cannot be separated. You can't begin to say, well, you know, yeah, you know, Jesus Christ is, I, I think he's a great guy and he was a good teacher and he was loving, but, you know, this God, God the Father, I, I don't know about that. No, they're inseparable. Because they're, they're God. It's the triune God that we see. God the Son, or God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So we see the Jesus deity, even in Isaiah 9, verse 6. It's a verse that uh, we tend to see more often during the Christmas season. This was a prophecy that we saw many, many years before the coming of Jesus Christ uh, to earth anyway. Jesus is eternal. But Isaiah 9, 6 says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called, now notice these names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty who? God. Not a mighty teacher, not a mighty prophet, not a mighty example, but it says Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So we see that Jesus Christ's bio is different than, than everyone else, and this should never be read of anybody, any of us for sure, and, and no speaker should ever be introduced this way because Christ is the only God the Son. But as we see that, so that's well established and we could spend really weeks looking at the Old Testament uh, proof that Jesus is God the Son, looking at the New Testament in all of these ways, but it's very well established that Jesus is God the Son. In fact, in growth groups, we're going to pick out two terms and look at the Son of God and the Son of Man. Is Jesus both? Yes, he is. He's the Son of God, and he's the Son of Man. So his deity is very well established. Now let's continue as we follow on in, in Philippians chapter 2, and verse 6. We begin to see Jesus' humanity. Jesus' humanity. Jesus, as creator, submitted himself to the limitations of, cre- of his creation. Notice Philippians chapter 2, and verse 6. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, at first glance, that can be in a confusing passage. Well, what does that mean? I mean, why, why would Jesus, God the Son, not consider equality with God something to be grasped? Well, we've already seen that his Christ's divinity, his rightful place in the Trinity, is very well established. It should not be, not, should not be doubted. But the idea that we see that is expressed here is that as God the Son, in order to fulfill his calling as Redeemer and to redeem us as unbelievers, 
uh, through his blood, through his sacrificial death on the cross, Christ did not grasp, he did not hold on to all of his divine attributes. He didn't lose those, but he did not exercise those when in any way it would come into conflict with his calling to redeem us as God the Son and as Savior. In fact, John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we see the Son of God very well established, but in the same chapter, John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, the Son of Man. So earlier in John 1.1, we see the Son of God, the Word was God. John 1.14, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Remember the, the term Emmanuel, God with us? A, a silly way that uh, this, it came to my mind of how this could be understood a little bit in a human sense. Last spring, I helped uh, coach a soccer team, uh, 8 to 10-year-old boys. Not because I'm a good soccer player, but because the primary coach had a job change right as the season was beginning. And I think about the second practice, introduced me as assistant coach before I even agreed to be an assistant coach. So that was kind of stuck in the position, and he was out of town a lot. But as, the, as we trained with the 8 to 10-year-old boys, sometimes we would, as parents, I'd call other parents onto the field, and we would scrimmage you know, against the 8 to 10-year-old boys. Now, I am uh, 46, so I'm a little bit bigger still. I'm not a big guy, but I am a little bit bigger than, than all of the 8 to 10-year-old boys, at least the ones who are on my team. So I could have been you know, more physical than them. I could have really, you know, just as I was running the ball, just kind of knock them down and go, huh, well, see that? But would, have, would that have helped the 8 to 10-year-old boys learn to play better soccer if I had played with all of my might as a 46-year-old man? Would that have helped them learn to play better soccer? It wouldn't have. Probably not. It wouldn't have. You know, and I, and I could have maybe made myself feel pretty good, even though I'm not the best soccer player. But around some of the 8 to 10-year-olds, I could, you know, could kind of school them. Now, some of, the, some of those guys could school me, so I, I sat them on the bench. No, I'm kidding. But I, I tried to participate you know, with them and with the parents. We would hold back. We wouldn't grasp all of the abilities that we had as adults and play out all of those because our calling, our purpose was we want to help them to become better soccer players. Now, Jesus Christ never lost being fully God. But because of his humility, because of his love for us, then he did not grasp, he did not cling to all of the divine attributes that he could have voluntarily exercised at any given moment, but he chose not to. Because he wanted to fulfill his calling as Redeemer. We see then that also Jesus' almighty God emptied himself of his divine rights and attributes. Jesus' almighty God emptied himself of his divine rights and attributes. Philippians 2, 7, the very next phrase says, But emptied himself. But emptied himself. As I was studying this last week, I came across in John MacArthur uh, mentioned several things of how Christ emptied himself. And I wanted to share these with you. First of all, he emptied himself of his divine glory. He emptied himself of his divine glory. John 17, 1 says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. 
As Christ came to earth and he knew very well all that that would entail. He knew very well all the the rejection, all the the persecution that he would uh, undergo during his time. And as he was coming to the end of that, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. For a time he emptied himself of the divine glory that he is certainly worthy of. In the same chapter, John 17, verse 5, it says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So he willingly gave up his divine right of receiving the full glory that he's very worthy of. John 17 and verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So he emptied himself of his divine glory. He also emptied himself of his independent divine authority. Of his independent divine authority. Matthew 26, 39 says, And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So he gave up his, the, the voluntary exercise of his divine authority to fulfill his role as our Redeemer. He had emptied himself of the voluntary exercise of some of his divine attributes. Think with me in Matthew chapter 4, and it'll be up on the screen. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, could Jesus have transformed anything before his eyes into food at, at, just, at just speaking the word? Could he have done that? Absolutely. He created the world by speaking it into existence. So he could have looked at anything. He could have looked at rocks, trees, leaves, whatever it could have been. And at a, at a, at a second's notice, he could have had exactly what he wanted in that very moment. Now, all of us, I, I think that would be a pretty cool power to have. You know, as we crave different things and, and you think, oh, wow, it'd be nice to have. Jesus, he had that power. He could have done that. But the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So he chose not to. He could have. He was hungry. He was undergoing temptation in a way as part of proving that, yes, I am God the Son. I have been tempted in like manner as man is tempted, yet without sin. Now, in that same book, in Matthew, but later on, Jesus takes a boy's lunch portion of fish and bread and multiplies that to feed 5,000 people and more. So it's very obvious that Jesus had the power, but yet in that moment of temptation, he chose not to exercise his divine power and some of his divine attributes. He emptied himself of his, of his eternal riches. We see in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you, might, you may, by his poverty, might become rich. Now Christ, during his earthly life, certainly didn't have a lot of earthly riches. But I, I think the, the, the primary point here in this passage is even the spiritual riches and the glory that he received in heaven, and, and the, 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 this position in heaven, and all of that, he gave up to come to earth, and he gave up his eternal riches. As we see in the Revelation, if you've read through the book, we begin to get a glimpse 
of some of the, the glory and some of the honor and the, the singing that, that is before the Lamb of God. And yet, that is exactly what Jesus Christ gave up to become flesh and to dwell among us. He gave up those eternal riches so that you and I could become rich in Him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And then think with me, this is probably one of the most difficult things for me to understand in the concept of Jesus being fully God and fully man is what he also emptied himself of. And it's this next one. He emptied himself temporarily of his intimate relationship with God the Father. Matthew 27, 46 says, In about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, Lemai, Sabachthani, that is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, in my human understanding, I cannot completely grasp how God the Son and God, you know, God the Son and, and the, or the Son of God and the Son of Man, as fully God and fully human, how this exactly exactly happened. But Scripture relates it, and I believe it to be true. God never lost His position as God. God the Son never lost His position as God. But yet, in this moment, for our sake and as our Redeemer, He gave up voluntarily. For a moment, his intimate relationship with God the Father. He did that for you and for me. We see also Jesus, as the Prince of Peace, humbled himself to become a servant. Some versions translate this as bondservant, which is basically another name for slave. So Jesus, as we saw in Isaiah, the Prince of Peace, the Almighty God, the Everlasting Father, gave all that up to become a bondservant, the form of of a servant, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. It's interesting, you know, as, as we as humans, and all of us have these tendencies, and it may be just in different areas, but Kim and I had to, we just chuckled to ourselves as we had a, a family friend had come, and, and she helped us a lot. She spent uh, almost a month with us in Brazil. She was a, a young girl or young teenager at the time, but she wanted to come, and she served and, uh, and when we were busy, we had young ones, we were trying to start a church and all this. And at one moment, uh, one of our kids had a dirty diaper. And so we looked at our friend and we said, hey, would you mind changing, you know, her diaper? And immediately she said, oh, no, 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 I don't do that. I don't do that. She did a lot of things, but she immediately says, no, 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 I, 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 don't, I don't change diapers. So we found, we found to what point? She was willing to help. Now, years later, she's changed many diapers. She has children. God's blessed their family, and she's changed many diapers, I'm sure. But we had to chuckle her to ourselves as, as she came to that point and says, no, 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 that's not something I do. And you and I have been there. Maybe God's called upon us to do something, or maybe even somebody else has asked us to do something. We're like, no, no, I don't do that. But yet Jesus Christ took upon him the form of a servant, of a bondservant. Now, I want to draw your attention back. Remember, as we looked at the big story of Philippians, Lydia was one of the believers, the first believers in Acts chapter 16. Seemed to be a successful businesswoman. The jailer was another one of the first converts of this Philippian church back in Acts 16. But there's a, a, a very likely possibility. Scripture isn't completely clear, but remember the slave girl who Paul, in the name of Jesus Christ, expelled the demon? The slave girl very possibly could have also come to know Jesus Christ and been one of the first converts of the Philippian church. 
So imagine that if Lydia is still there in the church, and she most likely was, and the Philippian jailer was still there in the church, when this letter is now being written, and Paul has written the letter from prison, probably in Rome, and it's being read aloud, Lydia hears it, the jailer hears it, but then maybe possibly that slave girl also hears it. Imagine for her as a, as a former slave girl to be able to hear Jesus Christ, God the Son, who has humbled himself, has emptied himself, and took upon him the form of a servant. Imagine how special that was to her. That God had given all of that up so that she could also come to know Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. Not just the Lydia's of the world, not just the jailers of the world, but even as a bondservant, as a slave such as her, she was also had that opportunity to see Christ. We see then that Jesus, as Prince of Peace, humbled himself to become a servant. Jesus is the Son of God, humbled himself to become the Son of Man. Philippians 2, verses 7 and 8. says, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, but then it goes further, being born in the likeness of men. Being born in the likeness of men. Now, there may be some of you who are extra sensitive about um, little creatures and animals and things like that. Most of us would not think twice about stepping and smushing an ant into the sidewalk. Or if they're in your house, waging all-out war, you know, ants should not be in our house, right? And we've, had, we've been overcome by ants on several occasions, and that is no fun. But think with me for a moment, becoming an ant for a while. That's absurd. Was it even more absurd that God the Son chose to humble himself, to take upon flesh, and to be Emmanuel, God, with us, and take upon himself the form of man. That's even more absurd to think that he would have done that for us. But since we're made in God's image, we have the clear purpose to bring glory back to God, and so Jesus, in his great love, did exactly that to redeem us, to give us the opportunity to be reconciled to God, as we see in 2 Corinthians. Now we are messengers of that reconciliation of Jesus Christ. Philippians 2.8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself. So we see you know, several ways where Christ is, it seems almost as if he's taking steps to, to more and more humility. Imagine with me, the President of the United States of America coming to your Christmas party. And whatever president it may be. I mean, you, you might go back to President Reagan. You may go, whatever president kind of comes to your mind. Think of whatever president of the United States of America coming to your Christmas party. And as he gets there, instead of coming in, instead of having bodyguards all around him, instead of having the special seat in the house, he says, no, no, everybody go in. I'm going to do the valet service. And as your guests come... I'll, I'll park their cars. It's raining. You know, it's just it's nasty outside. It's cold. It's wet. I'm going to park everybody's cars so everybody can get inside and enjoy your party. Go have fun. You are? Yeah, that's what I came to do. And that's what I'm going to be here tonight to do. But then after he parks everybody's car, he comes in and he begins to empty the trash. 
that has accumulated already, he begins to take out the trash and not making a big fanfare of it. He just empties the trash. And then after he does that, he washes his hands, of course. But then he sits down at the kids' table and he begins to feed some of the kids who are having trouble eating. And after they kind of finish and they're off to play, you see him begin to kind of clean up the table and the, and the, and the milk you know, that has spilled and the soggy bread. And he, he pulls all that up and he, be, he continues to serve. That will probably never happen. But even more remarkable is that Jesus, God the Son, came to earth. And in so many ways that we read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then as he taught his disciples, listen, you should be the the greatest servant and imitate me. I came to seek and to save that which were lost. I have come to be a servant. That he had humbled himself. Being found in human form, he humbled himself. It's interesting to think that as the creator of the universe, he created all the galaxies, stars that we don't even know exist yet. Um, As he created the, the most powerful animals on earth, created lightning and thunder, some of these things that that seem to give us a little bit of glimpse of his power. He can control the the oceans. He can control the the tornadoes. And these things are certainly out of our control. But yet, this same God spent time with his earthly father, Joseph, in a carpentry shop, making stools, benches, maybe tables. I think one day in heaven we'll we'll have an opportunity, hopefully, to, to get a little bit of a glimpse more into his childhood and and how that was, but he, he humbled himself in that way. One, one glimpse of this, and I think it'll be one of the next slides here. Look at this sequoia tree. Just one of many trees and many things that God is a result of God's creation. The sequoia tree is in California. It's called the General Sherman. It's the world's largest tree when measured by volume. 275 feet tall, almost the length of a football field. It's over 36 feet wide at the base of the tree. Over 36 feet wide. Three and a half basketball goal heights in in width. 60 feet up of the tree. It's still 17 and a half feet wide. Then show the next slide. Okay, that's, notice the contrast. So Jesus, God the Son, who this is just one little tree in his you know, great universe that he's created, but yet as we see how small we are to one big sequoia, but to Jesus Christ was nothing, but God the Son humbled himself to even sit at the feet of his earthly father and help in a carpentry shop. The same God who created all the plants and the animals and the fish and the birds and other food sources decided and humbled himself, as we've already seen, to fast for 40 days and withstand the temptation to show that he was victorious over sin and Satan. This same creator of all the world took a cloth and, and knelt down at his disciples' feet, and when they were stinky and dirty and sweaty, he was the one who began to wash their feet and in so many ways showed, yes, that Jesus Christ humbled himself, not just taking the form of man, but also becoming a servant. Then lastly, we see in Philippians 2, 8, Jesus, as the giver of life, surrendered himself to death 
on the cross. Jesus, as giver of life, surrendered himself to death on the cross. Philippians 2.8 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. That, that is important, that term. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He willingly and temporarily gave up the privileges and powers that he had. He could have, he could have called angels. In fact, we see in Matthew 26.53, Do you think that I cannot, cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? He could have done that at any moment. Could have called the angels to rescue him from death on the cross. But yet he chose to be obedient to the point of death on the cross. Now we're in a room here and all of us are mortals, right? All of us technically are already dying. And that, I mean, it's kind of a sober thought to think about. I mean, from the youngest, we have Cruz in the back. From the youngest of us, Cruz, to the oldest of us, or maybe wisest, you know, however you want to put it. And some, some just got wiser yesterday, right, Molly? So we got from the older to, to, you know, from the youngest to the oldest. Molly's not the oldest, but youngest to the oldest. Every single one of us is already dying. So every heartbeat is one heartbeat closer to the point where God has already determined our days and our limitations. He knows exactly when my last day will be and when my last breath will be. And every heartbeat is one heartbeat closer to that point of physical death. I do not have a choice to be obedient unto death. I want you to get that. Jesus did. But yet Jesus chose to humble himself and be obedient even to the point of death on the cross. A week and a half ago, Wednesday night, uh, many of us men had the opportunity and privilege to meet at the Woo's house for a men's community group. And we, we were able to try some special Chinese tea, which was great. We enjoyed that. And just enjoyed some time of fellowship. And we had a time in God's Word as Mike brought the challenge that night. And we prayed together um, and had a wonderful evening. Had some snacks and had some watermelon, even from their backyard. I mean, it was a, it was a fun night. But then as we began to leave and as everybody started to go back home and other different places, as I pulled out of the cul-de-sac, I, I, I just noticed that there were several men that were still behind me and about to leave. Some had already left and there were some still behind me. As I continued on my way home and I was on Barrett Parkway and got to the corner intersection of Stylesbury and Barrett Parkway, all of a sudden a pickup truck came, started coming down Barrett Parkway the wrong way and was coming right towards my van. And so I slammed on brakes and I started, you know, laying on the horn and flashing my brights. And for a moment, the, the motorist stopped and I thought, oh, good. You know, for some reason, he just got turned around. He or she got turned around. They're going to do a U-turn and get back going in the right direction. But before I could think any more, the motorist pressed on the accelerator and started barreling still the wrong way down Barrett Parkway, weaving through cars. I looked in the rear view mirror to see what was going to happen. And eventually... Lost control, went off Barrett Parkway, hit some type of fence or gate or something, ricocheted off that, and then came back in the middle. And I began to automatically think, okay, I passed Dan and Mike, so I know they're behind me. I think Josh Jaggard is behind me. I think Samuel Thielen's behind me. I think Logan is behind me. I hope that he didn't hit any of them. So as soon as I could turn onto Stylesburg and turn into a, a neighborhood, I began to call every one of those men, hey, are you okay? 
And, and he, he, all of them said, yeah, that was crazy. They went right, the guy went right by me. And Logan said, I saw the motorist hit someone and then a wheel came off. And that's why the truck had to stop in the middle and couldn't go any further. Praise God that a wheel came off. But you know, that night, none of us men had a decision of, you know, am I going to be obedient to the point of death or not? No, it, it could have happened. This day could have been very different. Instead of gathering for our gathering time, we could have been gathering for a funeral of one of us men. It could have been very different. Thankfully, it wasn't any of us time. God had not allowed you know, for that night to be the time, but it could have been, and we wouldn't have had anything to say about it because that's totally out of our control. But it wasn't out of Jesus Christ's control. In fact, he didn't only become obedient to the point of death, but we see in Hebrews well, let's look in John chapter 10 first. I want, to see, I want you to see that this was totally voluntary on his part. John 10 and verses 10 and 11. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd, notice this, notice this lays down his life for the sheep. He doesn't say it reluctantly. He doesn't say, well, you know, after all, I I had to do this. I mean, what choice did I have? He says, no, I'm the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for the sheep. John 10, 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. I mean, that's about as clear as you can get. When Jesus says, listen, I gave my life. I have the authority to give my life, and I have the authority to to basically resurrect again, to rise again. But what even is a starker contrast to me, I see in Hebrews chapter 12. It says this in verses 2 and 3. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, notice this, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endures from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Now, as I read that verse, it's almost difficult to read in the same phrase, joy and the cross. Humanly, those two things don't go together. I don't look forward to a a difficult death. I mean, as I think, and I don't think a lot about death, but that night I did when the truck was coming right towards me. And as I think about death, I hope that one day I would like to just kind of go peacefully in my sleep or something. I don't wish, you know, I I would love to die on the cross. That brings me great joy. No, I, I don't think that. But yet Jesus Christ, who for the joy that was set before him, And I think there's several things built into that. One, there's great joy that he was fulfilling his role as God the Son and as Redeemer. Fulfilling that which God the Father uh, had appointed him to do. But then secondly, I believe you and I were on his mind that day on the cross. And so as he thought about, and you can put your name in the spot, but as he thought about David one day as a little boy giving up his life to Jesus Christ, as he thought about one day Mike as a young adult giving his life to Jesus Christ, as he thought about one day Caleb coming to the point of, yes, I need Jesus Christ as my Savior, then as he thought about that, that is what brought him great joy, even though the cross and crucifixion, there was nothing joyful about that. 
In fact, we see King Darius recorded in 519 B.C. is probably the, the first time at least that it was recorded that crucifixion was used in 519 B.C. The Roman Empire used it extensively, but rarely for their own citizens. Not, many, not very often were Roman citizens crucified. This was something that was set aside for their worst criminals. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ endured for us. It was eventually banned in the 4th century by the Roman Emperor Constantine. But yet Christ Jesus with joy endured the cross. So as we look at that, and at Jesus Christ who humbled himself, God the Son, but yet who became God, the Son of God who became the Son of Man. As he endured great persecution, as he endured rejection, as he endured exhaustion, all of these things as he became a man, as he became a servant. That will encourage us as we look back in Philippians chapter 1 that we can have true joy through suffering. And as we've looked here in Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to look in a few weeks again at some other role models of Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus, that through serving and through humility we can experience true joy just as Jesus Christ did. And with this foundation, later in Philippians, in Philippians chapter 4, Paul would call upon, call upon two ladies who were very involved in the ministry. These weren't ladies that were just, you know, that were just uh, uh, casual about Christianity. He refers to these two ladies as, as women who have helped him in the faith. And he, he calls upon these two ladies and he says, listen, agree in the Lord. They were battling, they had some tension, and we don't know exactly what the issue was, but there was some tension there. And Paul, after laying all of this foundation and even calling back on the Lord's example of becoming a servant and dwelling among us and taking upon the form of human and being obedient to the death of the cross, he goes and then he, he calls upon these two women and says, listen, that's the foundation. Look back at, at Christ's example, and because of that, agree in the Lord. Now, I'm sure that there's times where every one of us could put our name in that spot of Philippians chapter 4, where others could say, hey, David and so-and-so, agree in the Lord. Remember all that Christ has done. Remember his example of humility and servanthood. And all of these things is your foundation to seek unity and to show the love of Christ that Christ has shown you. John puts it pretty succinctly when he says in John 3.30, He must increase, but I must decrease. And as we as Christians, or as little Christ, do exactly that and pursue that type of living, there's no doubt that the unbelieving world around us will notice the difference because that is not normal. 